Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is Tom Donaldson uh, with the Donaldson Files. Coco Konsky is on a sabbatical tonight. She'll be back tomorrow night. But sitting in the infamous left-wing punditry seats will be Kyle Hester, who will be representing Coco tonight. We also have Cece Harrison, the official uh, Canadian correspondent to the Donaldson Files. And from our South Carolina, we have Pam, the Swamp Girl. We haven't had had on for a while, so we're going to have a pretty good show. We're going to cover a lot of ground, and and the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to make a few opening statements, and then we'll go right into the show. We're going to talk about, uh, you know, we're going to talk about um, what I feel, you know, mistakes have been made with the COVID and I'll talk about some of those things. We'll talk about uh, vaccines. We'll get a Canadian view of our election. Uh, we'll get eyewitness accounts of what's going on in California and South Carolina. And, of course, uh, it, uh, I'll give my, our, our guests a chance to respond to my opening statements. Uh, and, of course, I mean, let me up. I mean, like I say, it'll be like this. Either way, they'll say, Tom, you're brilliant, and we agree with it. <laughs> and there's a chuckle already, and or they'll just simply disagree. <laughs> so, but here's a few things. I, I, I'm going to start off with a, a few items here, and I'm, I'm going to kind of, kind of put everybody in a, I'm going to take a contrarian point of view that actually has been well-researched. If there was, to me, the two biggest mistakes with the COVID virus we made is the first one, overestimating the lethality of the virus. We viewed this as the Spanish flu, which I might add, on on a per capita basis, not the word per capita basis, would have resulted in the death of about at least 2 million Americans. And probably 150 million around the world. That's what you were looking at, and that's what they were looking at sometime in March. That was the big fear. That proved to be off by a factor of 10. What we ended up having was the 1957-1968 pandemic, which on a per capita basis, death total would have been 160 to 230,000 today. Uh, The second thing we're going to look at is the lockdown. And I'm going to make a statement right here, right now. The lockdown was done for a specific reason based on the fear of the Spanish flu and worst-case scenario pandemic of the past century. It will prove to be one of, in my view, biggest mistakes made, at least in the economic history side of the occasion. The foundation I work with, America's Majority Foundation, you know, we commissioned a study done on the lockdown. We invited Wilfred Riley, who has done this study previously. 
So this was a study he had basically followed up. And what we found was the following. In lockdown states and non-lockdown states, you had a similar number of cases, but you actually had a higher death total in lockdown states. You also had a higher level, higher level of bankruptcy. And if you're a black Hispanics, again, you had a higher death total in lockdown states versus non-lockdown states. Then we kind of looked at red states versus blue states. And again, what we've had more cases per capita and less death per capita, leading us to say that the variable of the number of cases was not the number one issue or best metric to judge the infection as much as hospitalization and death. We also found the same thing with Black Hispanics. They're, they had a higher death total and a lower caseload in states with Democratic governors. The average red state unemployment through August is 6.5%. The average blue state unemployment is 8.4. Top 10 states, nine of the top 10 states were Democratic governors. The average unemployment was 5.9%. 18 out of the top 25 lowest unemployment had GOP governors. So I'll let you decide what all that means, 6.4%. 34 or 68% of all states, all states, had unemployment under the national average for an average of 6.7%. What we found was that the bottom of 25 states, the average unemployment was 9.4%. But this was exacerbated by the bottom 10, because the bottom 10 all had double digit, double digit unemployment numbers. And I, get, and I brought this to attention because obviously we're having an election, and the question is going to be which party would you trust to move forward? And we've had a 50-state experiment, both in lockdown and not lockdown, economic openings and continued economic shutdowns. And you can judge for yourself which state or which party did better. Because, we, I mean, we got 50 states. 25 states have Republican governors, 25 have Democratic governors, and you can decide for yourself. And the other aspect to me is the vaccine, because I'm fascinated with the vaccine only because we are pushing the vaccine. Question I'm going to throw back to this audience, and I did put this on the schedule, but I'm going to put it on now. You have a virus that, on the average, is going to... The infection fatality is 0.2 to 0.4. In other words, 98.6%, other people would will survive this virus, which is very close to uh, the flu, which over the past decade was 99.9, The question is, do you rush a vaccine to treat populations for the most part will survive the virus Anyway, do you reserve it for those population that are most in need? And what I mean by that is, say, senior citizens, people with uh, comorbidities, nursing home patients. I would like to get some, you know, the, the panel discussion on that as well. 
And finally, we're going to talk about pop culture because I was talking to uh, Cece Harrison and more, and we're going to you know, talk more you know, about her because she's into pop culture. She's a graphic novelist, and she kind of detailed to me some of the things that were occurring. So, so what I want to do here, first of all, I'm going to say hi to my guests, and then I'm going to take a break, and then we're going to get right into it. So starting off, uh, uh, Kyle, how are you doing? Hey. Uh, <laughs> you're the independent independent filmmaker. Uh, what I know uh, you've got a shotgun for a zombie, or a zombie with a shotgun, pardon me. Now, how's Preacher 6? Is that coming out shortly? Um, it will be coming out. Um, shortly, it will not be. Yeah, we are um, doing the VFX right now, which basically is uh, the you know visual effects are kind of Star Wars type stuff, and and we don't have as many people as Star Wars type films, so yeah. so we're just grinding it out. Okay. And uh, Cece Harrison is the graphic novelist, and she's also a counselor. So I know. Uh, why don't you kind of briefly tell everybody what's going on with you? Hi. Sorry, I'm just having a bit of a hard time hearing you guys. Um, okay. Well, COVID has definitely changed the nature of my work to a pretty large degree, so the launch of my comic book is on hold, which is okay. But um, So I've also been counseling more than I have in the last few years. And I'd say a good 80% of it is COVID-related and related to um, people's economic situations and, unfortunately, families being together more, which you would love to think would be a positive, wonderful thing, but it isn't for everyone. So, um, yeah, it's definitely changed um, work and and personal for me. All right, and... uh... And Pam, you uh, down there in South Carolina. So, how's everything going for you? This has been a rough ride personally. Um, I've had family members um, and having to deal with nursing homes and talking about restrictions and stuff. But um, overall, everything's just fine and dandy. <laughs> yeah, other than that, okay. I've been I've been doing well, research. I've been doing research on the Revolutionary War. Stuff and uh, uh, I got some interesting tidbits um, that I'm going to break out soon about one of our congressmen, um, right. and he's a Democrat. It's kind of interesting. All right, sounds what good. What I found okay, out well, doing some research. Yeah. All right. Well, what we'll say this is Tom Donaldson with uh, the Donaldson Files here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Uh, this is Dr. Larry Fidoa, host of the Dr. Larry Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network, inviting you to listen live every Wednesday evening from 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time at blogtalkradio.com and the podcast every Monday through Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time at thebachelornews.airtime.pro. I am called the philosopher of current events, an independent, open-minded conservative with my own ideas. If you are interested in advertising or having your own show, email us at labachelor40 at gmail.com. 
Also, don't forget Locker Talk with Barry Bonds. Barry's where you can hear about the NFL stars of tomorrow. Today, listen to Barry every Friday, 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time at blocktalkradio.com, L.A. Bachelor, and the podcast every 2 p.m. and 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with back-to-back episodes at thebachelornews.airtime.pro. Uh, if you want to be joining this conversation, you can call 646-929-0130, or if you just want to listen, call again, 646-929-0130, or you can Tweet me at, if you're on Twitter, at the Donaldson file. So if you have any questions, comments, or you just want to say, Tom, you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. You're so brilliant. <laughs> that, too, will be acceptable. So, all right. Okay, Kyle, I'm going to give you a first crack because, obviously, I have to let you have a shot to respond to my opening statements. Uh, all right. Well, well, first of all, thank you for having me on again. This is um, awesome as always. Um, but uh, okay, here's. I think like when when you get into the minutia of anything, it kind of dehumanizes the whole situation. So I think that like a, a good friend of mine just spent four days in the hospital with COVID, and um, and I think that when you actually talk about the human a- impact of it all. And also the fact that it's not just America, it's a global pandemic, you know, so there are other countries that are shutting down completely again, you know, because of the breakouts that they're having. So I think that when you talk about red states and blue states and, and all that kind of stuff, it, it minimizes what's actually going on, like in this world event that we are all living through. So, um, so that's, that's kind of what I think. And I think that, um, as far as like, you know, the big cities that there were lots of people live in enclosed spaces like New York City, that's going to have a huge outbreak, which it did. And lots of people died. And, um, and, and then, you know, it got shut down, which the curve instantly changed because of the shutdown. And so it's like you, you just have to be smart and understand what it is that we're dealing with and like what is acceptable. And I think that we've been in this learning curve along the way to find out all these things. So that's why some states are doing better than others um, because of where people live and if they live close together or farther apart or spend more time in apartments, et cetera. Okay, I, I think the reason why I understand your point. Here's the reason why I put it, the, you know, the numbers, the way I did it, the way I did it. And I'm going to get to UCC here in a second. Because I understand exactly what you're saying, but I can also say, you know, here's my problem. I look at the numbers and I say, you know, I'm looking at a virus that in many ways is mimicking on a lethality point of view what we saw in 1957, 1968. And my question is, when do you learn to live with the virus with the Swedes that basically said live with the virus because there's other consequences that's dealing with the lockdown that, you know, we need to discuss. You know, the increased suicide, uh, delayed treatments, and this is all in the scientific journal as well. You know, I made the statement that more people end up dying as a result of lockdown than of the virus. And I think that that is going to be proven to be true years down the road. And, and to me, I understand what you're saying, because like I said, we've all, I've known people who've gotten sick, you know, and I know both you and Coco know people who've died from the virus. I don't mean to minimize it, but I want to put it in a perspective that says, okay, here's what we got. 
here's what we can live with. What do we need to do? Because there's an economic cost that can't be dismissed, and that economic cost has its own health cost. And I'll and I'm gonna get back to UCC because you mentioned you're doing counseling. Yes. And you've talked about the fact that the number of people that this has affected their mental health. Uh, yes. And Huge. so, you know, kind of talk about that because that's an aspect that we don't talk about, but it's there as well. Um, so th- there are a lot of different factors, but, you know, f- first off, economically, so a-, a lot of people may have viable businesses or they get they get paid great money, but they also have this lifestyle, you know, the house, the boat, the cars, and they count on that money coming in all the time. And so now it's not, or their business is significantly affected and they're laying off people. It, it's pretty huge because here, and we don't really have it that bad here. I know several people who are losing their businesses or their jobs. So um, yeah, they, they need help to, to manage that and to have some kind of hope and with what they're facing. So that's been a challenge. Um, plus liter- literally families being together, kids being out of school when families are used to them not being home and, you know, maybe they're struggling with childcare or having to be home themselves or because they're out of work now they're all together. And, and if they're quarantining or at least just social distancing and, business are closed so they're forced to be at home and and we've kind of lost the tools to function as a family because there's so many other distractions you know video games and sports and you know all the social things we do outside the home and uh, all of those extracurricular activities so now everyone's forced to be at home more so that's um, a lot of abuse uh, spousal abuse it has written written risen exponentially throughout this whole thing and alcohol abuse drug abuse um, you know marijuana is legal here so those stores are thriving I know one of our local um, liquor board stores I'll, I don't know what you call them in the states but liquor stores uh, 100 grand a week this is one of them that I know of um, since this started on average, they're increasing. So there's a whole bunch of other stuff with that. So yeah, I'm busier and colleagues are busier. And it's, you know, um, so many different things related to this. But I'm, I'm sort of of the opinion of Spock that the needs of the few don't outweigh the needs of the many. Because of the fallout, just like you said, Tom, the economic fallout and different things is and could be greater than than the death at at the end of this. So, you know, unfortunately, people are going to die from this, but we also know who is most at risk. So why don't we focus on protecting them, protecting workers? Um, you know, if you feel safer wearing a mask, wear a mask. You know, I don't, I don't hear people talking about hand washing as much as they should, but that's so critical too. So, um, I feel like I'm rambling. Anyways, I know that's not a popular no. maybe viewpoint, but I just 
what I see from my my work as a counselor, it's very detrimental. I have a lot of friends in the healthcare business and nursing, and you know, it's just it's really impacting everybody for a tiny percentage of the population. And to me, it's just it's not worth the the fallout that's going to result from that. Okay, well, let me ask you a quick question. What is the status in Canada? Of, you know, do you have a lockdown? Is it kind of a lockdown state? I mean, is the country, is it done by province? You know, what is the status in Canada along those lines? There, there, there are federal mandates, but mostly provinces are, um, you know, it's up to their discretion to, to manage the way they will. And, and some are going above and beyond. Like in Alberta, you have to wear a mask in public places. Um, you can't gather more than 50 people. So, you know, that makes weddings and stuff difficult. Where I live, um, I'd say 30% of the people wear masks. You know, it's not really, no. it's only mandatory in some grocery stores, not others. In some, you yeah. know, like home sense, you have to wear a mask now. It's, it's nothing like it is in the States. Yeah. Okay. Okay, I'm going to bring Kyle back. Kyle, I'm going to have you comment, then I'm going to bring in Pam. If you have any additional comments to what she said. Um, yeah, I think that um, I think it's it's a difficult conversation to have because it's like uh, it's I don't think it's an insignificant amount of people um, that I mean we have two hundred thousand people plus that have passed away in the United States alone, and there's seven million people that have gotten this uh, disease. So I, I don't think that, that we can say, well, some people are going to die and that, and that just be like an okay kind of thing. And to have, you know, uh, these people against that people and everyone's suffering, the world is suffering. So there is no like easy answer to this. So I think that it's just finding a way to mitigate through it, helping people with mental health issues and helping people, you know, to stay safe from one another. And 30% of people wearing masks, and you may as well have no one wear masks because it's the people that wear the masks are protecting the other people from themselves. So that's, it's a, it's a selfless act to wear a mask. So that's, uh, that's where it's like, you know, if everybody wears it, these statistics will go down. And then if everyone wore masks, then like open things up, you know, but people don't because of the ego, you know, and that's, that's the problem. And that's why this is going to go on until, you know, it works its way through. Okay. Uh, Pam, your thoughts. Uh, Which part of it? Oh, Tom, you're brilliant. Um, (laughs) Anyway. um, (laughs) (laughs) Um. You talked about overestimating the lethality um, of this virus. I don't think so. I think our culture is so different, and the word gets out a little bit faster than it did years ago. Um, when you talk about the 50s, when you talk about even the, you know, uh, 1821 or 19, excuse me, 1921 virus, um, I think that because of the communications, things, you know, are communicated a bit faster. Um, I don't think they overestimated the lethality of this. I think it's pretty deadly myself. But on the other hand, um, so is driving a car down the street. And I know, you know, driving drunk and things like that, I know that that is not 
a popular opinion either, but these things happen. I think that one of the problems with uh, you talking about, uh, I think Kyle brought up mitigating through it. Um, and in my world, when disasters happen, you have to lower your expectations. Um, and that means that your life is going to be different. You need to budget. You need to do this. You need to do that. Um, when you start living that way and, and looking at things, that is kind of like moving from a big house to a small house to a tiny house. You know, you start lowering your expectations of what you need, what your actual needs are. Um, and I think that CC brought up people with boats and houses, you know, that have the recreation things and all this stuff. Um, and that, that, that is true for when I retired. You know, my definite, my paycheck definitely got cut. You know, so I look for other other ways to to supplement the income, and and I think that a, a lot of us are having most problems not with the lockdowns as much as they are with the change of lifestyle. You know that that that, yeah. that creates that. You need to create your your environment. You need to work with what you have going. And 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 I'm sorry to hear about the people in California and the people that are dealing with hurricanes and things like that. Um, but I'm also worried about the people that are drinking to death, sitting in the houses and stuff, you know, because their lifestyles changed. Um, so well, here's the problem. You know, yeah, here's the, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, here's why because I I think like I say I know what Kyle's saying, and I don't again, you know, and I know what you're saying. I, when I use the word overestimate the lethality, we had models that said two million people in the U.S. would die. Two million. They had, they were looking at a Spanish flu pandemic a once in a century right and when i and my point i'm trying to make here is not that this i mean let's face it i mean in, in 2000 in 2018 100,000 people died of the flu close to 100,000 and but and Tom, again, the statistics it, are those statistics based on whether or not they had a vaccine whether or not people are were aware of what was going on whether or not people got the word well, that maybe they should take care of this. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I know. But my point is this game, I mean, I'm basing the data on the CDC. This is what the Correct. CDC basically created. And my point will be is you, you made the point lower expectations or, let's say, making trade-offs. In the economic world, there's a thing called trade-offs. What do you trade off? What do you do in a, in a trade-off? And the problem you run into is this. On one side of the equation, because I would put it this way, we should never have reached 13% unemployment. Never. No, we I mean, I been... disagree with a lot. I disagree with a lot now from the get-go. Yeah. And, and this, that was, yeah. this was the problem, yeah. yeah. This is the problem I have with the, this is the problem I have with the lockdown issue, is that when I'm more, I look at more, I say, okay, in order for me to say this is a great strategy down the road, as opposed to a strategy that said, okay, Let's protect the most vulnerable and and do what we can with the most vulnerable in the nursing homes and then let those more healthier people work who will more likely survive having the virus a higher percentage. Uh, would we have been worse off? I'm not sure we've been worse off. That's part of my problem. And I think this is the problem that I have. When you're looking at even at 8.5, when you're celebrating 8.4% unemployment, my view, very simply, is this should never have happened to begin with. And I'm not as convinced as others. 
that we would have been any worse off had we tried what the Swedes did, and that's what the Swedes did exactly. And they said, okay, we're going to treat you like an adult. Here's what you need to do. Wear a mask when you need to. You know, you know, large gatherings, probably no, no, but we're going to trust you. You know, we're not going to shut everything down, but we are going to work on help, you know, dealing with the most vulnerable. And they're, they're now at a point of herd immunity where, where the rest of Europe is seeing spikes up. They're not seeing the same spikes. And same thing in New York. You're not seeing the same thing in New York because there is – because you've already reached what I call herd immunity. And I'm going to take a quick break here. Tom Donaldson, Donaldson Files on the Bachelor News Radio Network. And I am going to go ahead and Kyle – I'm going to have Kyle respond to this. And then we're going to go ahead and move on. To another subject, so this is Tom Donaldson, the Donaldson Files, Bachelor News Radio Network. And what did I just do? Huh. I never get the flu. My kids don't need more shots. I don't have time. We're all healthy. My asthma's under control. I'm pregnant. I've had the flu. It's not a big deal. My kids are too old the for flu. The media is exaggerated. I can fight it naturally. No matter how you build your excuses, the flu can blow your house down. Keep your foundation strong. Vaccinate. Learn more at flu.gov. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Yeah, this is Tom Donson, Donson Piles here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Uh, you can listen to this show 3 a.m., 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on the bachelornews.airtime.pro every day. Or if you're living in California with Kyle, it's midnight and 7 a.m. And tomorrow you can listen to this show again and listen to the brilliance of these, of these guests because we've got some very brilliant guests on tonight. I want people to understand that. And, uh, and also call in 646-929-0130. Or you can... Text me on the Twitter. If you're on Twitter right now, go to at Donaldson Files, and you can tweet and any questions, any comments, anything you want to talk about. Uh, we'll actually, you know, we'll put you on the, we'll put your question on the air. Okay, Kyle, I'm going to let you have the final words, and then I'm going to move on to another subject. Cool. Um, yeah, you know what? I, I think that everybody has valid points. You know, I don't think that there's but basically, first of all, there are no winners in this situation. You know, this is an awful situation that everyone's dealing with. So I think that that is uh, that the whole like it, we're going to have to figure out how to get through it. And I think that, you know, basically tampering down businesses helped to spread a lot of the curve at that time. You know, so now like the governments are just trying to figure out how to keep it. You know, basically, I think it's like trying to keep it under control you know, as opposed to, uh, you know, just opening everything up and like, you know, whoever gets sick, gets sick, you know? And I think that, uh, if we can save lives, let's try to save them, you know? So that's what I think. All right. Well, I appreciate that. And, uh, here's the other subject I'm going to get into is, you know, we had this conversation, uh, uh, you know, before the show with, I mean, I had it with CC and I know, Kyle, you're in this, and I would love to get Pam's opinion as well, is on the pop culture side of the equation as an example. Uh, I know, Cece, you mentioned 
that you already got cancellation, that your book, your graphic novel has been delayed, uh, you know, the launch has been delayed. And so kind of talk about, you know, what's happening on the cultural side of the equation. Um, certainly the comic book industry has been widely effective. DC and Marvel have had pencils down orders for months and months. And many, many smaller comic book stores have gone under because they just there's no product coming because nothing new is being printed. Um, you know, some smaller companies are still active. Um, the the movie business, the, the film business, is, has hugely been affected. Um, where I live in Kona, BC, we've actually got a lot of filming happening here because our our COVID numbers are, are so low overall in Canada and in our province as well. I mean, it's climbing, but compared to the rest of the world, we're doing pretty good. So there's a lot of productions being filmed here locally um, because we just, you know, our protocols are pretty good and pretty tight and we're able to facilitate that. But uh, look at Disney and Netflix. Everyone's, Everyone's screaming for content and you know film crews are afraid to work because it's really tough to adhere to protocols on film sets because there's a lot of touching of things and milling about so really look at hockey look at sports so anything in the entertainment or you know what we consider pastimes is hugely hit and that's also part of um, sort of collective mental unease and depression because some people are huge hockey fans you know they had Stanley playoffs Stanley Cup playoff tickets and all of those things music rock concerts and you know most comic cons a big one has upwards of 350,000 people passing through in a weekend so all of these things it isn't you know it sounds um, maybe inconsequential or insignificant but but the arts are you know, I've been around for centuries, and it's one of the things that humanity loves, and that alone. So, yeah, we, we can all lower our expectations, and I think we have, but it that doesn't make it easier to deal with. Okay, Kyle, talk about Hollywood. Because here, okay, here's the thing. I'm going to throw this out to you because you're an independent filmmaker, and, and a lot of what you do goes on, like, Amazon and on the Internet uh, on that particular spectrum. Well, let me ask this question because movie theaters, like in Iowa, I mean, they have them open, but they're pretty limited. You have to have a limited amount. And the question is going to be, is the old blockbuster, the movie theater, the big, you know, what do you, you know, you know what say a year ago, if Marvel had a, a, a big, you know, big show, it would be on the silver screen, as they say. And how much is that going to change in the future? And how much does that change right now? Yeah, what's the emphasis on many people in these studios in Hollywood or yourself as an independent filmmaker? Where do you go from here? I think that's a great question. I mean, as far as like in in L.A., like theaters aren't open. So that's, you know, that's that's a dead thing right there. So there's nobody going to theaters um, because of the, the laws currently. Um, and and it's difficult, just like she was saying, it's difficult to make films now because of all of the. Basically, it's you're in everybody's face like all the time, you know, so 
um, keeping, yeah, keeping those protocols for the film industry is really difficult and it's expensive. Um, like a lot of productions, you know, got shut down. It's like when a movie makes it through successfully, um, it's like, oh, they finished filming. It's like a huge deal. So that shows to, you know, what things are really like. It's like if people are applauding, you know, a film getting finished because of what's going on, there's some huge issues. Like my, basically I, you know, I had lots of films planned um, for to be shooting now, you know, and into the spring and next summer and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, I can't plan on anything because of this, because I being an independent filmmaker don't have, you know, a, a ton of money to be able to, first of all, test every week, test everyone, you know, all, all the times. It's a huge expense in itself. And then bringing on the people that are in charge of the sets, it's like you have an entirely new um, crew altogether just to, to mitigate all of that stuff and the cleaning of everything and all the stuff that, you know, you would yeah. do to have a safe set. So yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's difficult. And uh, that's why I'm uh, basically making YouTube videos and, Trying to trying to stay creative uh, that way until this until this like gets to a point where it's like okay and now it's like things are slowing down and we can start doing these things without like worrying you know about am I going to get sued if I if I do something and somebody gets sick you know yeah. so that's okay. a huge part yeah. of it yeah okay Pam now I know your daughter has her own business yeah you know, oh yes I know. How's her business doing? You know, what, how's she been surviving all of this? Well, um, actually, we've been doing really, really good. I think I told you early on, we got an exemption. Um, you could, you know, yeah. here you could get an exemption and stay open. Now, we did, you know, we're open on a limited basis with limited number of people. And, however, the community has come out to support, whereas I believe the first couple of weeks that she was open again after the 14 days you know everybody was locked down um she made more money than she did <clears throat> the same time last year being open more more days um and it's been heavy it's been heavy heavy traffic people in the community are supporting the businesses and, and i was talking you know uh thinking about the comic book <clears throat> industry the, the first two pay, places that i went to when they eased the lockdown up here um, The first two places were the two Local comic book stores because I know Both of the owners and I knew That they had you know suffered a bit So I went and bought <laughs> Comics and spent some money You know just to support them Because I knew that you know That, that wasn't in their cards to be closed That long so and um, As far as the movie stuff here um, It's kind of interesting that the uh, comeback of the drive-in theater has boomed here. It's so interesting and so funny. But they're playing things like Jaws and stuff like that. But but it is is absolutely it's, it's hilarious um, yeah. that people well, are finding a way. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Hold on, that's this is Tom Johnson with uh, Kyle Hester, uh, the Swap Girl, and uh, CC Harrison. We'll be right back here on the Donaldson Files on the Bachelor. News Radio Network. Tune in to You and the Law with Chief Virgil Green and Chief Keith Humphrey. The show focuses on law enforcement and their relationship with the black community while letting you know your legal rights as a citizen when confronted by the police. Listen live every Tuesday night 
from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern at blogtalkradio.com in the podcast every Monday through Sunday at 4 a.m. and 6 p.m. Eastern at thebachelornews.airtime.pro. Yeah, this is Tom Donaldson uh, here on the Donaldson Files on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Also, don't forget... The Bachelor News Radio Show with your host, L.A. Bachelor. The show discusses issues of race, politics, policing, injustice, inequality, religion, sports that affect the black, brown, and poor people negatively. Listen live every Monday and Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at blocktalkradio.com, L.A. Bachelor, or the rebroadcast every day at 8 a.m., 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the bachelornews.airtime.pro. Hey, you're interested in having your own show? For advertising, email us at labaster40 at gmail.com. And here we're back on the Bachelor News Radio Network with our host. And by the way, if you want to call in, it's called the number is 646-929-0130. And don't forget, you can listen to the Donaldson Files 3 a.m. and 10 a.m. every day on the bachelornews.airtime.pro every day. And tomorrow, this show should be on tomorrow, so you can actually listen to the repeat of this particular show tomorrow, 3 a.m. to uh, 10 a.m., and also midnight through 7 a.m. Okay. Uh, Drive-in theaters. Interesting process, Interesting point there, Sam. And it's I guess I'll put that funny. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, Kyle. Have you noticed? Yeah. That, is, does LA have abundance of? Is, you guys still have drive-in theaters? Um, you know, I I think there was one. Um, it, there's not a lot of drive-in theaters. I, I think that there may be something they're trying to to make that a comeback too. But uh, but there used to be. So yeah, that that is something that totally needs to come back. I'm all about it. Bring it back. Yeah. All right, let me ask you this question. What am I doing? I'm going to start with you, Kyle. Uh, what are some of the restrictions still in place? Uh, for example, if you go out to eat, what's the restrictions? Um, there's no, right now, there's no indoor dining. Um, I think they're talking about, like, uh, they're about to start opening up indoor dining again uh, to, like, 25%. But there is outdoor dining. So, basically, restaurants have kind of moved their tables to, like, out on the sidewalk and, and they've had like lanes like they'd take over like the basically where people would park like the parking lane so they would like put a barricade around that and put tables out and whatever so um so that's how restaurants have been trying to uh to adapt to that um let's see yeah there's no bars so bars are closed right now um and theaters and gyms so hair yeah hair salons just opened up again so yeah, so theaters, gyms, bars, no um, indoor dining, and no like big events. Mm-hmm. Okay, how about uh, okay in Canada? Uh, CC, what's uh, again? What about restaurant? You know, if you want to go out to a restaurant, what's uh, going down? Um, we we can dine inside, and I think there was only about two weeks where restaurants were actually closed for in dining, but then you could do takeout. But there's probably half the seating now or or a third less um we've got all kinds of acrylic part partitions up um at grocery stores and banks 
any like liquor stores, any place where you're exchanging money. Some places still won't take cash. A lot of um, restaurants um, have outdoor tables now, so they shut off part of our downtown, so that was only walkthrough traffic, so that a lot of restaurants and little pubs could uh, extend their eating areas out into the street so that they could accommodate more people. Um, so what else? Okay. Like salons are open, yeah. but you have to have a mask. Yeah. No big concerts, well, I guess, no huge gatherings. Yeah. Yeah, Iowa is basically the same thing. I mean, I know that in selected counties, they have closed down the bars for a period of time, but the restaurants are still open, but the bar areas are closed. I mean, we have one restaurant we go to, and basically, there's no chairs around the bar areas. But for the most part, there it was always set up in such a way that there was plenty of space in between tables. So they, you know, they don't have a fit. You know, I will, I'll put it this way: if there's a 50 percent, they're not doing it. But there's enough social distancing that they, can, you know, that they can get away with it with no problem. Uh, but uh, but but a lot of the coffee shops. You know, a lot of the coffee shops are still closed or indoors, but they're doing tons of business outdoors. I had, you know, there's one that I go to quite a bit, and she's telling me, and she tells me every day. And I asked her, she said, "Yeah, we're we're surviving. We're doing pretty well with the drive-through business. In fact, she she says, you know, we thought about opening inside, but we figured it's just as safe to keep this outdoor, to keep doing what we're doing, and keep making the money doing it." So it's been kind of, so to me it's going to be very interesting is you know the change of people's eating habits and uh, and, and I'm, I'm kind of getting get everybody real briefly and then uh, CC has just emailed me something that I want to get to uh, but I'm going to put it this way uh, do you see more and more people doing drive-throughs in the future as opposed because I'm going to put it this way I used to love going into the coffee shop just to do work, just to get away. It was a nice place to get a cup of coffee, get my computer down. You know, they had Wi-Fi. I could do my thing. And uh, I, that I do miss. Uh, so I guess my question would be is, you know, you do you see some of these changes make you stick around with us or the fact this is the way people are going to start doing things? I'll start with you first, Kyle. Do I see people doing things differently? Yeah. Yeah, I think that basically it's, um, it's, it's kind of changed everything. I mean, the last time I was, I went to a restaurant, it was like in and sat inside was months ago. So I think that oh, wow. um, it's, yeah, yeah, it's, it has changed everything. <laughs> so I, I mean, I, I go through drive through all the time. So, uh, I mean, Starbucks, you can go yeah. inside. You know, like there, a lot of stores, yeah. it's not like everything's closed. A lot of stores are, are open. You can go inside. It's just like, you know, this social distancing is in place and stuff like that. So it's just like the, uh, yeah, the bars are shut down and, and restaurants just you can't eat inside. So, but yeah, it's definitely changed things. And I think the restaurants are about to be open again at a certain percentage, like 25 or 50% or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Oh, um all right, uh, Stacey, real quick, do you have any comments? Um, you know, I don't, I don't mind the partitions. I think they keep uh, people on both sides safe, like the uh, cashiers and the, you know, the bartenders, yeah. wh- whoever's behind the counter, even, 
even going forward when this clears up, I'm I'm okay if those barriers stay up just even because of common colds or whatever. And and if this or something like it rears its head again, we've already got those in place. Um, you know, it, it's I really feel for you guys because it, it is so much worse there. But, you know, and some people say here in Canada we acted too late, but I think we were under 10,000 de- 10, deaths is still terrible. Staff Carolina's um, getting ready for the Canadians. We're wide open. We're wide open here. We don't have those restrictions and stuff. I mean, it depends on where you go, but it's almost getting to be our Canadian time. So, where the Canadians come down here. Okay. I, I would like I would like to come down there. <laughs> I'd like to get out of here right. for a while. Yeah. All right. Uh, okay. Here's the thing. You. Okay, I, I'm going to – you just brought something to my attention, and I, I think this is kind of interesting. I want you to kind of comment on it. Uh, let me get back here. Uh, all right. Wealthiest billionaires. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this is interesting because Jeff Bozo, Amazon.com, is worth $76 billion increase during the pandemic. Bill Gates. I'm going to assume that he still makes money off Microsoft, $16 billion. Steve Ballmer, I'm not sure if he still works for Microsoft or not, or, but I have to assume that he's still got a piece of their action uh, when, he's not, you know, when he's not running around in Orlando playing, you know, watching the, his L.A. Uh, I should say watching his L.A. Clippers blow yet another playoff, $18 billion. Ellison, I think he and Warren Buffett, 12 and $12 billion. Uh, Mr. Facebook himself, Zuckerberg, had $42 billion increase. Uh, Elon Musk, I'm trying to figure out where Elon Musk is getting his money because I never can figure out, you know, you know how many cars he's actually selling on to, uh, through his t- Tesla. But I think it's an interesting yeah. – well, here's the question I'm going to throw back because here's the thing. You know, you go back to the, you know, the, and the, some of the, you know, and this is something I noticed here, where, and I've had other people say in other areas and locations, where you would have the small mom and pop store closed down as non-essential, and Walmart stays open, or Target stays open, and the big corporation stays open. And I think, you know, Jim Cramer of CNBC you know, made the point this may have been the biggest transfer of wealth where major corporations found a way to stay open and stay essential, and the mom-and-pop stores of Main Street got shut down. And, 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 and this is a pretty good example of that. And so, uh, Cece, I'm going to start with you because you're the one who brought it to my attention. Your well, thoughts. I mean, I, I'm not a QAnon person, and, you know, I, I think some of it's laughable. But there are some things, you know, you hear all these conspiracies with all of this going on that I, I wonder about, like, in in this time where, where families are legitimately struggling, some of them, many of them, to, to feed their children, these guys, it's not just a couple hundred grand or 10 or 20 million, it's billions and billions of dollars. Billions and billions of dollars. WTF. So I wonder, is has this been orchestrated? Like, 
we we've seen Hitler's and Mussolini's. We know that human beings are capable of such diabolical actions and thoughts and behaviors. So it when I see those numbers, it, it makes me wonder: is any of that true, or some part of it that some of this is planned, the pandemic? I ha- I have to wonder about that. I do. Um, and, and we all should, to a degree, not to get all freaky about it, but um, we're sheep if we don't wonder and want to test it out and ask questions. And and just yeah. are blind, like, where's all that money coming from? And, you know. Okay. Yeah. Okay, Kyle, your thoughts. Um, well, you see, you, you have me go right after the bombshells. Um, all right. Um, yeah, I, I I completely disagree with with all of that. Um, I, I think that uh, basically it's like it, it's a world event, and um, the, you see countries around the world shut down, do the same thing. Um, I think that there were definitely mistakes made, you know, whether you know to keep certain things open and and shut other certain things, which are now all, you know, opening and or open back up, like small businesses are, are open. And I think we're, we're experiencing like uh, basically just many people not having as much money as they normally would to be able to spend on those things. But um, yeah, when you start going down the road of, of a conspiracy, like is, was this a planned thing? It's like, we need to back up a little bit and, and go, okay, this, this was not a planned thing. This was an actual world pandemic that affected everyone. So then like, how do you know that? It's a global event. How do you know that? How do I know what? How do you know it's not, it was, I'm not saying it was, but how do you know it wasn't? How do I know that it wasn't a planned event? Like, like for Jeff Bezos? Like, I, like, no, I, I mean, I mean for all, all of that group of people that, that are benefiting so much, like, I'm not saying it is, but doesn't it bear looking into or questioning? Um, I, I think that, I think that, it, it it bears looking at the whole situation as what it is. When it's like when you go down the road of, of looking at like, well, maybe it's these four or five people and they planned this, you know, to make this happen. I think that's a bridge too far with this particular thing. You know, there's like millions of people affected by this. So I, I, I don't, don't think you can is. point at Amazon. I'm, okay, I'm here's not the question. Yeah, yeah. pointing at Amazon. I'm pointing at every single person that is not just profiting a little bit from this or even a lot. Those are, those are astronomical Yeah, no, hey, I, I agree. There are definitely people that are profiting from this way more than others. But to, to say that, like, they planned it, I think is like, you know, come on. Yeah. Well, I okay, think they could simply be in the right place yeah, at the I, right time. Yeah. yeah. Here's the th- yeah. Here's the thought, real quickly, because I know we're getting near the end of time, and I want to make sure that you guys get a shot to uh, talk more about you know, some of your projects. Uh, yeah. Here's the here's the thing I look at is this. Uh, you Yelp does like every month. Yelp does like a list of businesses. They're you know going into out of business. And, and one of the things they looked at is, for example, restaurants. Three out of every five restaurants 
are now permanently closed. Uh, you know, three out of every five, you know, retail shopping malls closed. And I could go on down the line. There's a lot of small businesses, and I'm not going to. I'll use the word taking advantage of where you are at the time. But what I will say here is that it is, you know, it's. You know, the question comes in play, has Main Street been devastated enough? It's enough. This is another program in and of itself that it may, you know, that parts of it may never recover. If you go in cities like New York, very briefly, you know, there are businesses in New York, restaurants that may never open up. And part of your appeal to go into a city like New York are restaurants or those places that may be, you know, permanently gone. Uh, what I'm going to do here is we got about – Three minutes left, so I'm going to put it this way. First of all, Kyle, uh, talk about any future projects where people, or better yet, where can people get a hold of you? You can get a hold of me on Twitter, at Kyle D. Hester, but what I would like most is if you went to my YouTube channel, which is Kyle Hesterland. So just look up Kyle Hester or Kyle Hesterland on YouTube, and I will be there. Okay, uh, Cece. I'm uh, I'm on Twitter too, Cece Harrison. Um, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram as well, so I can be found in all of those places. And I have some new uh, things percolating, but uh, that won't be up and running till December. So I'm being purposely mysterious about that. Okay, sounds good. And. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, and Pam, I'm gonna give you a chance to talk about yourself. If not, and if you don't, if you or if you want, you can tell people in Columbia where they can go uh, to your daughter's for her business. If you want to promote her business, well, she's told me not to. I'm not supposed to be on the internet, according to her. But anyway, <laughs> they get in so much trouble. Um, now, I, I'm doing research on uh, dead people. Believe it or not, where uh, old burial grounds have been plowed under here and they've built buildings and recreation things on top of them and uh, I'm still doing my little research stuff um, and I'm having fun okay. with it and I'm a smart ass and sar- sarcastic at times so yeah alright sounds good I'm going to let the we're going to stop right there this is Tom Donaldson uh, tomorrow night Coco will be joining me we're um, so for tonight's show, I want to thank Kyle. I want to thank Cece. I want to thank uh, Pam for being on. This is Tom Donaldson here on the Donaldson Files on the Bachelor News Radio Network.
Welcome to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. We're glad that uh, our loyal listeners have joined us uh, again for another series of You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Uh, I'm one of the hosts of the show, and uh, the uh, other host of the show, he goes by the name of Chief Swag. So we want to welcome Chief Swag to the show. Say, say, Virgil, how you doing, man? Hey, before we get get any further, happy birthday, man. Well, you know what? I am glad you said that, sir. I, thank you, thank you, man. You see how dedicated I am to 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 the work and to what we do to be on the podcast show on my birthday. Well. That's because no, you don't have anybody spend time with you on your birthday, so you have no choice. <laughs> Happy birthday to you. Happy Um, 
uh, in reference to what took place with the Brianna Taylor's uh, uh, situation that, you know, Keith, it just kind of adds more fuel to the fire. Well, you know, man, once it, uh, once that, once that keg ignites and explodes, man, it's hard to uh, maintain the remnants of it. And, and it's going to be interesting to see. I've been waiting to see if they were going to have an outcome today regarding any type of criminal charges, but I guess that hadn't come out either. So I guess they're anticipating uh, it's the unknown. I think they're preparing for it. There is no charges. Uh, what's going to happen and if there are charges, you know. So it's going to be interesting, which will have a trickle-down effect throughout the nation. Yeah, yeah, it will. It just won't, uh, you know, have the, the unrest in, in, in the city of Louisville. It, it will happen, you know, you'll see things happening in where you're at in Little Rock. Uh, things may happen uh, here in Oklahoma City or Dallas, just, just all across the country you're going to see uh, people protesting uh, the verdict. Uh, oh, I mean, well, not the verdict, but you're going to see people protesting as to how the uh, Kentucky Attorney General is going to uh, proceed with the case. And, um, you know, Keith, uh, I was on L.A. show last week, and, and he kind of talked. We talked a little bit about this, uh, this case up in Kentucky, up in Louisville, and one of the things that we that we didn't get into was the fact that it, has this case been really kind of uh, has politics played a role in this case, uh, Keith? Because the attorney general is the first African American uh, attorney general in the history of Kentucky. He is the uh, he is the first Republican attorney general, uh, I believe, since 1944. And uh, so he's an up-and-coming person in the Republican Party. Uh, he's has close ties to Mitch McConnell. And uh, so you have to kind of ask yourself, how has the politics played out in since he's taken over this case? And I believe he was given this, he took over this case way back in May. Uh and and we all know that she was killed in March. So, you know, why is it taking so long? And the fact that, you know, ever since he has been involved with it, Keith, he's been pretty quiet about um, what uh, all the way up leading up into the fact that this is going to be presented to a grand jury. Well, I think uh... – you know, Virgil, he, he's going to have to explain it. He's got a decision to make, and whatever decision he makes is not going to be popular, um, you know, either way. Uh, but he's got to make the right decision. And, um, you know, I will tell you that if he makes a decision not to go forward with charges, uh, it's going to be said uh, that it's because of his political affiliation. Uh, if he makes a charge, it's going to be – Bet, um, but he doesn't want. He, he's uh, sacrificing these officers for the safety of the city. So he's in a he's in a position. He's just going to have to make the right call. He's going to have to make the call that he feels is the right one. Uh, there are going to be people that you know. I know there are people out there that think this way and think that way. But he's going to have to make the call because he's going to have to live with the call, whatever one he makes. Yeah, and, and you know, Keith, when when this. Uh civil settlement was, was reached. One of the things that Brianna Taylor's mother 
publicly said uh, about uh, the attorney general, his name is uh, Daniel uh, Cameron, uh, she asked him, you know, do you have the courage to call my child yours? And so, um, you know, this is, you know, he's African-American, Rihanna Taylor's African-American, uh, and and so it, it's kind of like how do you, how does he relate to what this mother is dealing with? And everything that is going on and the fact that, you know, one of the things that we often see, Keith, is that after these types of incidents happen, the some kind of way this per, uh, they are, they're victims, but they become more victims because their things are brought out about their past and, and so forth that has nothing to do with what took place. So, um the city of Louisville is, is in a really tough situation, and the fact that you've got one of their officers who came out with this email basically saying that, you know, the city officials don't care about the officers and the fact that, you know, it, it, there are some disturbing things about the email that just kind of continue to divide that community. But, Keith, we're going to take our first quick break, and we're going to come back and finish up and, and talk about that a little bit more. But you're listening to you on the you and the law on the Back to the News Radio Network. I'm not going very far. It's too uncomfortable. I'm in a hurry. Sometimes I just forget. There's no such thing as a good excuse for not buckling up. You're not only putting yourself at risk of injury or death, it could also cost you lots of money. Cops are writing tickets, so why take the risk? Do the smart thing and start buckling up every trip, day or night. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Hey, we want to welcome you back to You on the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Uh, I'm the co-host of the show, uh, Chief Green, and the other host of the show goes by the name of Chief Swag. Hey, we're you glad. Know, uh, uh, it, it, before you before you do that, um, uh, it, Chief Green, I, I I want to wish you happy birthday on a on a good note. Uh, happy 21st birthday to you. Um, Thank you. Yeah, yeah twenty first. Twenty first. That that number sounds good. Right, twenty first times whatever. Uh, that's what Swag said. But anyway, um, <laughs> but no, happy birthday to you. But on a on a serious somber note, uh, it's L.A. basketball. I I, I want to just ask you. I got someone that called in and asked that. Um, you know, actually, they made the comment. They said that Brianna Taylor's death uh, is not being uh, uh, justified, or there's no justice. They're saying because black women being killed are just like black women being at the, the bottom of the totem pole. It's pretty interesting to think about it to get your comments on that. And then just to add to that, guys, uh, the, the the fact that when you look at um, uh, it, maybe it's a, a step further, Justice uh, 
Ruth, you know, Ruth Bader uh, Ginsburg just died, and she stood stood for a lot of that. And and even with her, her death, uh, her passing, uh, uh, Justice Scalia, they were talking about how brilliant he was and everything. And with her, uh, the debate is on how they're going to replace her, uh, whether it be, uh, it looks like it'd be obviously conservative or whatever. But uh, it, it, it really is a great point. Uh, Chief Green and Humphrey, and I respect you guys, to talk about the fact that we've seen a lot with black women getting killed, and the numbers are increasing with the police shootings with black women. Uh, And this woman, this young woman who was an essential worker, still can be, God forbid, rolling over in her grave and her family still mourning monies aside because these police went in there with a no-knock warrant and all this stuff, and nobody's been held accountable. And Chief Green, you've talked about this. Chief Buffett, you've talked about this. And if they're killing us as black men, they're adding and piling up the bodies with black women. And I think that's what the caller was saying, and I think that's what they want you to kind of address, if you will. And and happy birthday again to you, uh, uh, Chief Green. Well, hey, thank you. Thank you for that, L.A., and, and, and for Keith, for Chief Humphrey to say, you know, 25 and, and you add more on to it. But, you know, he's the older one in the group, L.A., so, and, and to our listeners. But uh, but that, that's an that's a inside joke between me and him. <laughs> uh, Chief Humphrey, are you there? I'm here. Seems I'm like, here, Chief. Okay. All right. Well, all right. Well, hey, that was a good. Uh, that was a great question uh, that LA had posed to us, and and you know, Keith, I'll I'll say one of the things is that you know this just goes back to uh, the young lady that was killed that that died in a county jail in Texas, um, and the fact that you know people have forgotten what her name was. And uh, because there's been so many, so many black women and so many black men that have been, uh, that have died as a result of, of their contact with, with the police officer, that you kind of, you kind of forget in the fact that women are often just kind of just, uh, you know, minimize the fact that, you know, uh, the conversation is not talked about a lot, but you know, you hear a lot about George Floyd. You've heard a lot about Michael Brown. You heard a lot about Eric Garner. But you know, you go back to the the young lady that was that was uh, that died in the county jail in Texas after being pulled over by a state trooper. Uh, how many people remember her name, Keith? Well, I don't know. It's Sandra Bland, and you know, yeah. it's 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 and and if you and if people don't remember her name that's that's sad because of just the way that that miss bland died uh asking for help uh being in a position that uh where she couldn't help herself and she and she died tragically at the, at the hands of law enforcement and so i think we do focus on the black males that have been that are being killed and we have to remember that there are black females and then you have to wonder is it is it because females are um, that just because it may not be as many as it frequently, it doesn't matter how frequent or how many, when any black life is taken, 
in the method that they've been taking um, over the last five years at the hands of law enforcement. Now, I'm not talking about the ones that where there was a self-defense mechanism in there. I'm talking about the ones like Botham James. I'm talking about the ones uh, like Breonna Taylor. I'm talking about George Floyd. I'm talking about Sandra Bland. Uh, you have to recognize the fact that it doesn't matter if it's a, the gender. It matters the fact of the ethnicity and the concern and the frequency that this is happening. And so, you know, we have to realize our sisters are just as vulnerable as, as our brothers. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And, and that's why, you know, every you hear the, the, the new phrase, uh, Keith, is, the hashtag, you know, you got a hashtag and you've got a, uh, you know, a name after that. And, you know, now there's a hashtag say her name campaign to bring awareness to often, uh, you know, invisible names of black women who have been uh, targets of, uh, by on law enforcement. And, you know, in just re- doing some research uh, and, and, and looking at the black women that have been killed, you know, there's a young lady that uh, uh, by the name of Natasha McKenna in 2015, you know, she was 37 years old, and she uh, was tased to death in jail while experiencing a mental health crisis. And so, you know, and people that say Natasha McKenna, I never even heard that name before. I mean, you've got to get on the Internet and, and search and find these, these uh, women who have been killed at the hands of, of a law enforcement officer. And this woman was inside of a jail, supposedly the most securest place you can be, uh, just like Sandra Bland, trying to, 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 to get help um, and experiencing the same type of situations that she did related to mental, uh, a mental health crisis. So um, there's just so there's so many names and so many uh, reasons why these women were killed and that uh, you have to, you know, we, we talk about this often, Keith, you know, when will, when will this stop and when will we uh, be able to, uh, because again, Keith, you kind of have to ask yourself, you really can't memorialize these people because, there's there's this one and then there's another person and there's another person is is real tragic well i'll give you another one man you know one of the most tragic they're all tragic but one of the most tragic situations uh ayana stanley jones a seven-year-old girl in detroit back in 2010 was asleep on her sofa and the detroit police served a no-knock warrant and she was she was shot and killed and then the 92-year-old 92-year-old lady in Atlanta, uh, Catherine Johnson, uh, she was inside her home, and it was a botched drug raid. So these are names that I think a lot of people aren't aware of or they forget about. And, and the fact is, I, you know, you hear people say, well, they're going to they're gonna get money. The family's going to get money. Let me tell you something. There's not a penny that can, that can, that can uh, satisfy or um, help a family heal when it comes to a situation like a seven-year-old that's in her house asleep or a 92-year-old that's in her house asleep, uh, you can't, you can't, you can't, there's not enough funds. And then back in 1984, Eleanor Bumpers, uh, she was 66. um, And she was, they were trying to, uh, uh, it was an eviction process and she was killed uh, 
on an eviction process because she was behind on her rent. And uh, she had a history of mental illness. So these are three females that I guarantee you the average person, don't, they, they, they don't know their names. And, and we have to make sure that people understand that what's going on with law enforcement now has been going on for years. I mean, you know, 1984. Decades. Um, Decades. Yeah, yeah. Dec- yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, that's why people are saying it's an epidemic. Yeah, and you know, Keith, it, we're, when we're talking about these names, uh, you know, there was a, uh, you know, right after the incident took place with Michael Brown and Ferguson, uh, there was a, a lady who was who was killed, uh, shot and killed, uh, having an encounter with police, and it was doing a mental health call, uh, and so. You have to ask yourself, and this is kind of goes into the conversation that we're going to, uh, the topic that we're going to be talking about today, have, def- have def- decades of failed reforms allowed continued police brutality and racism within the black community. Um, and so here it goes back to mental health, and we've seen so many people who have suffered mental health crises and breakdowns that police officers are called in and that person's ends their a life is taken and a person is really trying to I mean they don't really fully understand what they're going through and and you've got a police officer who's coming in and their only uh thing is hey we need to either get you out of the street or we need to get you somewhere we need to uh, put handcuffs on you, take you to jail, or we need to get you to a crisis center. Um, but oftentimes people just don't stop and listen to what these individuals have to say and what they're going through, Keith. Well, you know, unfortunately there are, there are times when we don't have that time. We don't have the, uh, we don't have the luxury of, of, of asking those questions and, and we have to act, react or act uh, in an imminent fashion. But a lot of it comes back. That's not the first time we dealt with those individuals uh, when we, uh, you know, when we've encountered it. Right. So there are a lot of times we don't have the resources. You know, it, it should be a follow-up technique. And so a lot of departments now are coming up with um, community outreach programs that are partnering law enforcement officers with um, social workers or mental health professionals to get individuals the immediate help or long-term help that they need. But that still that you know that still doesn't make a family who lost a loved one uh, at the hands of law enforcement, whether it was justified or not. Uh, that's that's still too little, too late for those for those families. And you know, I, I, I will tell you this, Virgil. It, it is a uh, you know I, I, w- I went back and I did some research, and you hear me talk about the uh, Wickersham. Uh, you hear me talk about the Wickersham committee, and you hear me talk about the Kerner committee. And I, I was looking at that the Wickersham Committee was back in 1929, and we know that that was on the heels of Prohibition. And you had a board, a committee of of, of 11 men that basically said, uh, including August Vollmer, uh, who was the, uh, the father of, of modern-day U.S. policing, and basically said that the police were too gentle um, on those in violation of prohibition, murderers, 
of violent crimes and certain crimes, and so they needed to turn up the heat. So you've got a commission that are tell, that's telling telling police, y'all need to turn up the heat. Y'all aren't being strong enough. You're not being heavy-handed enough on criminals, on crime. So you need to be more heavy-handed. And, and so yeah. that's all we need. Uh, you know, a commission that the president starts that, that says, let's do this. You know, so you know, just want to talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, Keith, let's uh, let's hold this pause right there, and uh, we're going to take our next break. Uh, you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. If you want real discussions on politics, social issues, racial issues, and other topics, then tune into the Bachelor News Radio Show. Listen live every Monday and Thursday from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern at blogtalkradio.com. And if you missed the show, you can listen every Monday through Saturday at 8 a.m. and 3 p.m. Eastern and every Sunday at 5 a.m. and 3 p.m. at thebachelornews.airtime.pro. Listen and be informed. Welcome back to You and the Law with Chief Humphrey and Chief Green. I just want to do a reset. Um, Yolanda uh, called in. I didn't catch it. She said how it, it, it talked about how uh, handsome uh, Chief Humphrey was and that and, uh, and getting a lot of birthday wishes in uh, for Chief Green. Um, uh, a guy says, I bring it back to you. A lot of people are talking about um, the the fact that, that you're talking about policing. So if you can um, just do a reset on the fact that you are two brothers talking about what's right um, uh, about policing and community policing and the fact that in, in this day and age and that you don't have to get into the political the, the age of Trump but the, the policing of that Chief Green and Chief Humphrey as you both eloquently talk about um, the fact that um, it's not about being blue it's about being right and I think a lot of people are very astonished uh, some of your new listeners uh, are, are about that and I want to let people know that I'm going to be screening calls so if you have a question or a comment I'll ask that and then we can get you on the air with Chief Humphrey or Chief Green um, about the show and the topics uh, if you don't if you have a question hit us up in the chat room is open or at 646 929 uh is the number I, I take it back to Chief Humphrey and Chief Green hey thank you LA Hey, uh, Chief Humphrey, you want to lead off with that, and I'll kind of come in on the tail end as we talk about the how the UN, how UN the law, uh, what is the purpose of UN the law, and, and and how we keep everything as real as we can with our listeners. So you know, I think you know, with over sixty years of law enforcement experience between us both, you know, you and I talked. I, I had been a, a, a guest on LA's show for a couple of years and, and, uh, you know, he would always, we would always talk about current events. And, you know, I think one of the things that he really liked is that I keep it real. You know, when we're right, we're right. When we're wrong, we're wrong. But I think as yep. two African-American police chiefs, uh, we have an obligation to the community to be honest and talk about, um, you know, to talk about, you know, the things we can do better, the things that we've done, the things we can do better, uh, when somebody, when we mess up, when when we, you know, when it's a intentional, when it's an, uh, a tragic mistake, and, and any type of uh, anything we can do to to make things better, 
we're not here to argue with 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 the the callers. People have their opinions. I respect their opinions. Uh, there are going to be some people that aren't going to agree with what we say. There are going to be those individuals who we might they may have that aha moment when they listen to us. But at the mm-hmm. end of the day, we would be doing the law enforcement profession a disservice uh, as two African American men who have been fortunate and privileged to be in a situation like we are. Uh, we've got a platform that we need to stand on and we need to be honest about the things that we've done wrong and, and, and how we're going to fix them. And we would be complicit if we didn't even, if we didn't step up and try to, to try to make a difference. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and I'll say this to our listeners that, you know, we, I, I you know, and I'm going to speak for me and I know Chief Humphrey can speak for himself, but one of the things is that we want to make sure that we call out things that are bad. You know, we don't always want to focus on the on on the bad, but we want to also focus on the good. But when when we see things that uh, are not uh, good for the black community and good for black uh, police officers, uh, I know me. Uh, I'm just gonna gonna be as honest as I can about it and and, and call it out for for the way it is. And you know, if if other police officers uh, that may listen to the show don't agree. Uh, then they just don't agree. But at the end of the day, I think, you know, when we have these type of, of discussions, Keith, with our listeners, uh, it just opens up that dialogue and the fact that two black police chiefs can have a conversation about things that are going on in the in the black community or in the minority community and also even in the LGBTQ community. And the fact that we are talking about topics that are not being talked about across the podcast show industry when it comes to these type of law enforcement shows. And the fact that, you know, there's things that we're not going to say, oh, we're not going to talk about that. No, we're going to talk about it with you all, and, and we want to get you all's opinion. So that's why we encourage our listeners, Keith, to, to call into the show, share your comments, share your concerns. And if you don't agree with something, Hey, we'll laugh about it, and we'll we'll move on, and hopefully you'll join us uh, the next week uh, for, for another edition of You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. But you know the things that we are witnessing in this country is at the hands of police officers, and we have talked about the slave patrols. We talked about that there is a, a racial bias culture within law enforcement, and. Keith, we've even talked about this. There's even some black police officers who will probably disagree with us and say, no, there's not a, no, that's not true. Well, I don't know what side of the, you know, the defense you've been on, but if if you cannot see it, then you just don't want to see it, Keith. Well, you know, I I just mentioned something earlier about the Wickersham report, but but I want to move up 39 years later uh, in 1968. Uh, the Kerner Commission, and the Kerner Commission focused on, it was convened by President Johnson, and the focus on why were there so many African Americans dying at the hands of police during the riots, and a mm-hmm. total of 83, 83 blacks were killed in Detroit riots, Watts riots uh, during the 60s, and also there were thousands of blacks injured, and so it was, it was, it was basically Johnson as you know, this was in the heights of the civil rights era, and uh, Johnson wanted to know what was going on. 
And so another, once again, an 11-member committee um, did a study, and one of the things that came out of it is they that it, they concluded that we were heading in the direction of two societies, a black society and a white society. And a white society, and it came exactly. Down, and it came down to basically saying that uh, the, the country, uh, by 1985, uh, the uh, uh, African Americans would, would – start being the majority, would be close to being the majority, on their way to being the majority in the nation. It also said that we, uh, a lot of the violence that was happening, the riots and a lot of the things that were happening in um, in the inner cities were based on the lack of jobs, based on the lack of opportunities for African Americans. And so in 1967, uh, whether you like President Johnson or not, uh, he did form a committee, and it was very true. But, but but the thing about it is, nothing was ever done with those findings. Nothing was ever done. An opportunity, a roadmap. And so in 2015, it took an African American African American president to come forward and said, "Hey, we need these guidelines to improve the relationship between the community and law enforcement, especially the African American community." And, and that's where we came up with the 21st century policing. So, so, so for over 87 years, man, 86 years, there, there were there were reports coming out saying what we needed to do. There was one report say we need to be heavy-handed. There was one report say we've been too heavy-handed. And then, you know, in 2015, you have a report comes out to say, hey, we we need to be more proactive. You know, we need to we need to build community engagement. And 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 so the 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 stories have been there, the the, the details have been there. We've just ignored them. Yeah, yeah, and you're right, Keith. And and you know when you talk about the the 1968 uh, report that came out, you have to ask yourself, you know, you know the commission got a lot of things right, but did people really listen? And and even 50 years later. Some 50 years later, you're still seeing the same cycle of the fact that people are not listening. People are not following through with things that have been put together by professionals in the industry and even in the private sector. Just like with with, uh, President Obama's 21st century community policing. I I guarantee you there was was a lot of police departments across this country who said – we're not going to do that because it's a black president who came out with the 21st century community policing. So we're not going to mess with officer wellness. We're not going to mess with, you know, these things that they should have been implementing, but they just looked at the fact that this was a black president who came out with 21st century community policing. And I'll say, well, this let me thing. say yeah, then you get president Trump come in and he goes back and he starts to undo some of the things that President Obama implemented, and one of those things was related to the law enforcement having access to, to military equipment. And, and so, you know, again, that causes a division between police, politics, and police. And so, you know, you got to, again, if these, if these agencies are not going to follow the roadmap, you got to ask, you, uh, ask yourself why. 
Well, you know what? It, it, it's funny you say that because it, it goes back to that we're, we're talking about, you know, you, you get a president that, uh, that talks about, uh, well, let me back up and say Law enforcement, you know, we talk about you shouldn't talk about politics at work. I'm telling you, I'm telling the listeners right now, every day at work, <laughs> there's discussions about politics. When you walk around offices and Fox News is on every day, and when you walk mm-hmm. around offices, you see different can- uh, uh, candidates, uh, ha- you know, paraphernalia and stuff like that. That is bringing politics into the job. And so, it's just like when Rodney King happened. I remember that that verdict split a police department, split police departments, because you had black officers saying, "Man, that was horrendous," and you said you had white officers saying, "Man, he should have just complied." Now you also had white officers saying that, that was horrendous, and then you had some black officers say that that he should have complied. But at the end of the day, I think the thing that bothers me the most and that really breaks my heart is when you have police officers saying, I need to know more about the situation, when you when it's clear that <laughs> yeah, there was excessive force used, when it's clear yeah. that you have people who, who are saying insensitive things in briefing rooms and in parking lots and at, and at parties and things, that, that, and these are, the people who are saying these insensitive things are wearing badges and they wear guns, and, and and then they under, then it, it's hard for people to understand why we're we're scrutinized and why we're under a microscope. And, and, and so these are the things that just are really frustrating to me and break my heart. It's very disheartening. Yeah, and I'll say this, Keith. You know, I think one of the things is that we've we've brought a lot of this. Law, the law enforcement community has brought a lot of this on uh, on our on the law enforcement community selves. Uh, not particular ourselves, but just in general, a lot of these things are brought about because law enforcement does not really want to listen to the, to what the community has to say, and the fact that you know either you either you comply with it, if you don't like it, go somewhere and sit down and shut up, and then if you don't go somewhere and sit down and shut up, then we're going to find some kind of way to take you to jail and shut you up. And that's what right. we, even now we're seeing that with, with some of the protesting that's going on where, you know, district attorneys across the country are filing felony terrorism charges on citizens because they are protesting. And we're not talking about people that are destroying property. We're just talking about people exercising their right uh, to, to protest and free speech. And across the country, we're seeing prosecutors hand down very heavy uh, charges against these protesters. And that just continues that divide. And, you know, we've been on the last five weeks talking about bridging the gap. And it's almost like, Keith, you know, these things continue to happen. And you see the phrase, bridge the gap. But it's almost kind of like, you have a segment of people that are really talking about it and really doing some good things, you know, just like the brother we had on, you know, week, uh, you know, week before last, Quentin Williams and his organization partnering with the Miami Heat and the Miami Police Department to provide some, some very in-depth training. Um, but you've got others who are almost reluctant to, to really 
make the change because they feel like Black Lives Matter and these other organizations are controlling the narrative to what's going on, Keith. But, Keith, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll come back, and we'll finish up on that uh, topic. But you're listening to You on the you and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Greetings and great day, everyone. I am Elder Janelle Strickland, host of the Life Cafe radio broadcast from Maximizing Life Family Worship Center. I invite you to tune in every Saturday from 5 to 6 p.m. Tune in, maximize your life with the Word of God, and be blessed. Only on the Bachelor News Radio Network. You're listening to You and the Law. Don't forget, if you have a, a, a question, if you're on our line, 646-929-0130, you can ask a question, comment, leave your name, and we'll get you on the air. Chat room is open as well for questions, comments, or hit them on their Facebook and social media uh, broadcast. Back to Chief Birthday Green and Chief Swag. Well, hey, well, hey, L.A., definitely thank you, sir, and uh, we want to thank our listeners for joining us uh, today for You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network, and we want to remind our listeners and those of you who are just uh, tuning into the show, you know, that uh, you can follow us on our social media platforms and like our pages. You can follow us on uh, Facebook at, at You and the Law. You can follow us on Instagram. You and the Law, uh, and on Twitter at You the Law One. So uh, please uh, reach out to us on our social media platforms, and also reminding that you can listen to the rebroadcast shows of You and the Law uh, at 4 a.m. and 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at the BachelorNews.airtime.pro. That's every day, and all the way up, including uh, on the day of the sh- of the show when we have live shows, you can listen to our rebroadcast shows. Uh, in your time zone, and that is at the bachelornews.airtime.pro. Uh, Keith, it seems like, you know, once again, we, we have a, a very good topic that we've got a lot of people listening to the show and, and uh, sharing their thoughts about um, what we're talking about. And, and as always, Keith, when we, we start out with, with a topic that we're going to talk about, uh, and, and we, we, uh, we, we kind of go – into some other things, and that's just as, as good, but, but we're just covering so many things that I think is really important to our listeners, and that's the whole purpose of this show uh, to our listeners is that we want you guys to control uh, the, uh, as much of the narrative as, as you can and talk about things that are concerning to you and your community, and, and if there's some positive things going on in your community where your police department, share them, but you know, uh, we go, we go back to uh, a lot of things are on is on the backs of police to get it right. It is not on the backs of black uh, people to get it right. It's on the backs of, of, of these police departments to get things right with their communities. Well, you know what, Virgil? I, I think uh, Yolanda had a uh, was was talking about uh, lack of funding and police policies and restrictions. 
on black officers and and she's absolutely right. We we got to talk about that because I don't want Yolanda to think that we that we're missing that. Uh, oh, a lot yeah. of police department. Yeah, a lot of police departments uh, don't have policies. A lot feel that they that they shouldn't have policies. Uh, there are those that don't have the funding, but they don't want to have the funding. They don't know how to ask for the funding. There are some police departments that make their that they get their funding based on uh, traffic stops uh, and 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 fines. Uh, Ferguson's a prime example. Uh, over 65% of their general fund uh, for the city was funded by uh, traffic tickets and, and court fines. Uh, and so, but then you have to go back and, and look at the history of black policing. Uh, when we, back in the 30s and 40s, there were black police officers, even before then. Uh, people need to go back and look at the history of Bass Reeves, uh, the first oh, African-American yeah. U.S. Mar- U.S. Marshal. His territory mm-hmm. was Mississippi, Arkansas, and Oklahoma, and it's an amazing story. They're finally going to make a movie about Bass Reeves. But when you mm-hmm. think about the, the, the local enforcement officers uh, in New York, Chicago, and other uh, inner-city police officers and throughout the nation, they weren't even allowed to ride in the front seat or ride with white officers. Uh, they had to ride in the back seats. Uh, to their beats, and they had to walk on their beats, and they weren't allowed to arrest anyone who didn't look like them. So, so there, there has been not just with the African American community, there has been um, issues and um, uh, inequities when it comes to minority officers, whether it was Hispanic, whether it was Asian, whether it was African American. So, she's absolutely right. Uh, it's, it's been a struggle for not just only african-americans in communities there's been a struggle with african-americans in the law enforcement profession and so that's why i think it's very important for you and i to use our platform um based on the things that we that we need to try to change yeah and you're absolutely right keith and and the fact that you know when we talk about the the culture of law enforcement you you cannot ignore the fact that uh, and I said this on the L.A. show uh, last week, the fact that, you know, we are a minority in a very segregated uh, workforce. And some people will stop and say, no, no, that's not right. Well, if you if you look at the number of black police officers compared to the number of white police officers, and even in current times you find a lot of police departments still have systems in place that they weed out uh, uh, minority uh, applicants uh, that will, whether they may get cut at the uh, polygraph stage or they may get cut uh, doing the background investigations, there is still a system in place that prevents black police officers men and women who want to get in this profession key. And some people will say, yeah, we've made some strides, but you know what? I will say this, that for, you know, you you may have uh, in in a police academy, uh, you may have 20 police officers, 20 black applicants, and only four may make it through that process to go through the academy. And by the end of that academy, it only may maybe two uh, make it through the full academy. So you know we just go we go back Keith to the to this whole culture of policing and the fact that policing started out wrong 
and it's continued over the over the decades and years that has still led to even systematic racism amongst black police officers. So, well, well check this out, Virgil. But check this out. We're, we're the only, we're one of the few professions that can actively say that we want to recruit minorities, whether that's black males, black females. Uh, females, uh, Asian females, Hispanic people, we're one of the few. What happens is that you have a lot of chiefs that will not, they're uncomfortable with saying that or saying, I'd like my academy classes, whether it's informally or informally, I'd like our academy classes to be 35, 40% minority. What's wrong with saying that? Uh, What's wrong with saying that we haven't done a good job of recruiting minorities? What's wrong with saying that we know we can find qualified minorities for our job. What's wrong with saying that? There's yeah. nothing wrong with saying that. That is facts. We're at a point in our profession that we've got to be honest with what we need and what and, and what and what we haven't done right. We've got to be honest. We no matter yeah. how much it hurts, no matter how embarrassing that we think it is, the communities will start respecting us more. When we're honest about the history of law enforcement, when we're honest about the fact that we do need to see more people of color in this rank and file, we need to see more more people that look like you and I in these positions. And then when we do have people that look like you and I, we can't be scared to make those difficult decisions. We can't get swallowed up by the political, by politics. We have to make the decisions that's in the best interest of the profession, the community, and our departments. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, Keith, and one of the things, you know, you know, Noble came out last week, and I think it's something I shared with you earlier during the week, the fact that, you know, in the last week we've seen several black police chiefs uh, uh, resign or retire uh, from positions that they haven't even held that long. You know, you know, uh, we talk about Renee uh, in Dallas. Uh, she's only been there, had been with the Dallas Police Department for what, maybe going on four years, Keith? And, and well, three, three years. Yeah. Three, three years, and then, you know, she's gone. And then the, the Seattle uh, police chief, uh, you know, she's she's leaving. And then... You know the the police chief in Rochester. You know, uh, think he kind of played a played an unfortunate uh, in his demise. But you know, when we talk about especially black women, we go back to the thing with black women being killed more by police officers. But we also have to recognize the fact that when black women become police chiefs or uh, across the country. It, you know, it is a it is a good thing for for women, but why is it all, you know like Dallas with Renee? She was the first black female police chief in the history of Dallas, and you know you ask yourself, will there will somebody follow her? Uh, uh, and and will you know where will she end up after she leave Dallas? So there's a lot of things that when we talk about, especially with with women in law enforcement. You don't, and I'm gonna give you an example, Keith. Right here in the state Bert, of Oklahoma. Can I, can I can I say something real quick? Yeah, go ahead. Just really quick while it's on my mind. You know, and, and what we've got to stop. What we've got to stop doing. Uh, you know, one of the things that I think that also um, prohibits 
African American females for putting in jobs because this is what we hear. Well, that man, they're not going to hire another. They're not going to hire another black if, you, if like in, in in Seattle and in Dallas. Well, they won't hire mm-hmm. another black. Or or well, it's time for this. Or you know, and so city managers and mayors have to stand up and they have to recruit. It's okay for them to say, "Hey, listen, we want <laughs> it's time for a female to be hired." Uh, we hope that more females apply for the job. We, we gotta be, we gotta stop being afraid to advertise, um, you know, for talent, uh, minority talent. We just have to stop doing that. We, we gotta stop being afraid to do that. That's not, that's not discrimination. That's not separate. That is just facts. There are you're, what you're saying is there's qualified minority females out here that can lead police departments, and we want to give them a chance. Yeah, and 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 that's what that's what the whole conversation should be about. Your qualification, your experience to to lead a law enforcement organization, and not for somebody to say, well, we haven't, you know, we, we'll try her out and see what she do. It's almost kind of like you're setting somebody up for failure. Uh, to some extent, and but the comment that I was going to make uh, prior, Keith, is the fact that just like in the state of Oklahoma, there has only been one black female trooper in the history of the Oklahoma Highway Patrol. One black female in the history of the Highway Patrol, and you look back that this is an organization that is probably maybe close to a hundred years old, and and you ask yourself, well, how is it that and you and you talk about what you said earlier, Keith, recruiting, recruiting, recruiting. How is it that you only have one black female in the that is still with this highway patrol and there has not been another one since her? And you have to ask yourself, are you really doing a good job of recruiting? Especially with we have a lot of HBCU universities across this country who have a lot of talented uh, black women who are studying criminal justice. Uh, are you really trying to really change the culture of your organization when you say you only have one? That 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 number is not good. And if you are proud to say that you really need to change uh, that thought process, the fact that you should be really doing everything you can to get more black female and even Hispanic uh, female uh, Troopers or police officers in your department. Well, yeah, and, and we both know that the, the young lady who's a trooper, who's a trendsetter, and um, I think yeah. she's been there uh, maybe 15, 15 17 years. years. Yeah, and she was yeah. recruited. Let's, let's, she was recruited from a yeah. She was recruited from HBCU. a historical black college, and so you yeah, can't Latika tell Anderson. me. Yeah, yeah, Alexander. Yeah, Latika Alexander. Yeah, you cannot Alexander. tell me. You can't tell me. That there are more, and so you know, is it the reputation of the profession that that um, uh, that uh, you know prohibits young women of color from more? I don't know, but but we need to, we need to see more. Um, you know, when I was in Norman, we had never hired a black female. It wasn't because I had while I was there, I actively tried to recruit, but the but the reputation of the department and the reputation of law enforcement. Uh, as a whole, especially in uh, certain states, uh, I think hinders us from hiring qualified minority females or other minorities uh, uh, into these positions. 
But but yeah. but I can tell you this: my my focus is if I can make a difference in this profession, I'm going to do it. And 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 I'm not I'm not afraid to have those conversations. And and and, and the other thing that we have to uh, one thing that we have to look out for, just you know, really quick, is that we've got to stop worrying about uh, the unions. Uh, 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 you know, they they should not have a say. They should not yeah. have a say of who is hired as a police chief. They should not have the final say. But I can tell you right now, they do in a lot of situations have that final say. Uh, they should not be allowed to attack uh, police chiefs uh, when they're doing their job just because they don't think they're doing their jobs. Uh, you know, these are in, and and that, and it, and it's so disheartening that 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 occurs, and 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 so those are things that hurt. When you let uh, a group of a group of officers tell you who to hire and when they should be fired, that's a problem. A vote of no confidence by by people just because they don't like one thing you say, and then and then that that police chief reputation is targeted in their in their in their tenures tarnished based on the fact of one incident that they don't believe officers don't believe that they should be mm-hmm. allowed to do so that, yes, that exactly. those things do do uh contribute to us not being able to recruit qualified minority females yeah yeah you're right and hey keith we're coming up on the last few minutes of the show and we want to just thank all of our listeners for uh, listening to You on the Lawn, the Bachelor News Radio Network. Uh, we've had a, another uh, a great uh, topic, a conversation which, uh, between ourselves and our listeners. And uh, before I go, Keith, i got to share this with you since today is my birthday. Uh, our good friend, your former administrative assistant, wanted me to let you know that you owe me a very good steak dinner from Ruth Chris Steakhouse. Okay. What about hear that? What about if I buy you a steak hamburger from Dairy Queen? Uh, buy you a value meal with the curly fries and the, and the red soda water. What if I do that? Are you gonna be? Oh no! You know okay? you know what? Well, you know what? I'm gonna have to say this. You know. Listeners, we definitely thank you for joining you on the you and the law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. And thank you all for the birthday wishes and we will see you all at the next edition of You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Happy birthday.